Hey y'all, Eve's here. We're doubling up today with two events in history. One from me and one from former host Tracy V. Wilson. On with the show. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. On this day in 1237, the Treaty of York formally established the border between Scotland and England. Prior to the 1100s, neither England nor Scotland was really what we would think of as a nation. They were more like a collection of associated clans and tribes and kingdoms. Even when there was a monarch, that monarch wasn't ruling over one coalesced, unified entity that had a common law that applied to all of it and the people living there who had a sense of a national identity. England developed into a nation as we think of it first, with Ethelstan uniting most of the nation at the end of the 10th century. And then this sense of a unified national identity followed from there. Scotland started to coalesce into a unified nation a little bit later in the 12th and 13th centuries. Until that time, the people that we think of as Scots and sometimes even describe as Scots really thought of themselves as Gales, and they had in their minds more in common with Ireland than with England. But again, we're still an associated collection of different tribes and kingdoms and peoples, not so much one unified nation. Even before these two nations were really nations, though, there was a general sense that they were different from each other. And there was a border between them, or at least the idea of a border. And there were some efforts to mark that border in various ways, including, for example, Hadrian's Wall. The border that was outlined in the Treaty of York was the Solway to Tweed line. It goes from the Solway Firth in the west to the River Tweed in the east. And this treaty was signed by Henry III of England and Alexander II of Scotland, who were brothers-in-law. They were brothers-in-law because Alexander II had married an English princess, which is something that his son would also do to try to build up the connections between England and Scotland. By signing this treaty, Alexander willingly gave up Scotland's claims to Northumberland. Scotland had been claiming parts of Northumberland for a couple of generations. This line, or at least part of it, had been considered to be the border before this point, but the treaty was what really formalized it. The idea that that was where the border was goes all the way back to the year 1018 after the Battle of Carham, which put the border at the River Tweed. This treaty, though, did leave a stretch of debatable lands in the western part of the island north of Carlisle, which really remained in dispute. Powerful clans controlled these debatable lands for centuries, and they tended to be quite lawless. There were border reavers. There was a lot of cross-border raiding of cattle and other livestock. After drawing this border with the Treaty of York, Scotland was its own independent kingdom for a while, but really not for very long. After the death of Alexander III, there was an interruption in the line of succession that almost led to a civil war, and then Edward I of England invaded, and this led to the Scottish Wars of Independence. This was part of a long series of disputes and wars between England and Ireland, and they were united as Great Britain in the Acts of Union in 1707. At that point, they had had the same monarch since 1603, which was when James VI, King of Scotland, had ascended to the English throne after the death of Queen Elizabeth I. And really, these disputes had been going on for hundreds of years before the Treaty of York, 
Between 1040 and 1746, almost every English monarch either invaded Scotland or fought off an invasion from Scotland. And you may notice that 1746 is after the Acts of Union of 1707. So there was just a lot of back and forth during all of these centuries. And in all that time, though, the border that was set down in the Treaty of York has pretty much stayed as it was in 1237, with a few revisions, such as Berwick-upon-Tweed, which existed as a free burg until formally becoming part of Northumberland in 1885. This makes the line outlined in the Treaty of York one of the oldest surviving political borders in the world. Thanks to Eve's Jeffcoat for her research work on today's episode and to Tari Harrison for all of her audio work on this podcast. You can subscribe to this Day in History class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. You can tune in tomorrow for the birth of a famous name that sounds fictitious, but definitely was not. Hi, I'm Eve's, and welcome to this Day in History class a show that uncovers history one day at a time. The day was September 25th, 1886. Boxer Peter Black Prince Jackson won the Australian Heavyweight Boxing Championship, becoming the first Black man to win a national boxing crown. Peter was born on July 3, 1861, in Christiansted, St. Croix, Virgin Islands. His grandfather was freed from slavery under a planter whose last name was Jackson. His father, also named Peter Jackson, was a warehouseman. He was educated up to a primary level, but soon left to work at sea. When he was young, he moved to Australia. Settling in Sydney around 1880, he worked on the waterfront and in hotels. While in Australia, he learned to fight under the instruction of Larry Foley, a successful Australian middleweight championship boxer. Between 1883 and 1886, Jackson fought seven times. One of those times he fought with bare knuckles. And he only lost to Bill Farnham in 1884. On September 25, 1886, Jackson defeated Australian boxer Tom Lees by total knockout in the 30th round. That fight won him the heavyweight championship of Australia. At 6 feet 1.5 inches or 187 centimeters and 190 pounds or 86 kilograms, Jackson was big, fast, and he had a good reach. Out of worthy opponents and seeking more money, Jackson left Australia and headed to the United States and Britain. He ended up in San Francisco in 1888, associating himself with the California Athletic Club and teaching boxing. After winning a few fights and building his reputation there, he headed to New York, taking on fights and exhibitions along the way. From there, he went to England. From 1888 to 1892, he fought 28 men and did not lose any of his fights though he did come close in his eight-round draw in Melbourne in October of 1890 against Joe Goddard. Another notable fight was his bout with James J. Corbett in May of 1891 in San Francisco, which was a 61-round, four-hour draw. Jackson really had his sights set on fighting the Boston strongboy John L. Sullivan, an Irish-American boxer who was a highly paid and well-known heavyweight champion. 
But Sullivan refused to fight Jackson, a Black man, because of the color line. Jackson was successful despite racism and discrimination. He was a celebrated boxer and respected athlete, and he achieved some fame. He was allowed in the National Sporting Club rooms in London. But racism did show up even in his praise. He was called Peter the Great and the Black Prince, and he was uplifted for being a gentleman and modest, contrary to white perceptions of Black people. He had a, quote, respectable character. As his boxing career came to a close, he dealt with depression, drank, and spent money without discretion. His health declined, and he developed tuberculosis. He continued teaching boxing, managed a pub, boxed exhibitions, and was an actor on a touring production of Uncle Tom's Cabin. In 1898, Jackson lost his first fight in 14 years to Jim Jeffries. The next year, Jackson lost his fight against Jim Jeffers in Vancouver, the last fight of his career. At the same time, his health was declining. In July of 1901, Jackson died of tuberculosis. He was buried at the Brisbane General Cemetery. Less than a decade later, Jack Johnson became the first Black world heavyweight champion. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can learn more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at T-D-I-H-C podcast. Thanks for showing up. We'll meet here again tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.